Hey, beautiful people. Welcome to MJAC Conversations. I'm your host, Rachel Runnels, and this is our last episode of 2020. So settle in for a good long chat about coping with a COVID Christmas, Mark's cooking secrets, grieving as a practice to become more human, and where Jesus is in our seasons of darkness. We hope this is just the start of a conversation that continues in your Zoom gatherings and phone dates in the coming weeks. With me today are two dear friends of mine, Mark and Stephanie McLeod. Mark is a dairy farmer, and Stephanie is a teacher who supports students with exceptional needs. And they're the busy parents of three little boys under seven. Welcome to the pod. Thanks, Rachel. This is exciting. A little combo. Get both sides of the coin. That's right. No, that's good. I'm very excited to be here. Well, guys, this is the last episode of MJAC Conversations uh, podcast series until sometime in the new year. We started this podcast when the COVID restrictions locked down the globe and closed our church buildings in Saskatchewan in March 2020. And here we are. It's December 2020. It feels a lot like March. Actually, <laughs> did with uh, new restrictions and new rising numbers every day. Uh, so it is the first week of Advent. It's December 3 today as we record. And it is also week 2 of what was intended to be Saskatchewan's four-week period of uh, tighter restrictions leading up to a hopefully COVID-reduced Christmas, and we all have December kind of 18th-ish circled on our calendar, hoping that the government's going to tell us, yay, you can have some people over for Christmas Day. But frankly, the, the trajectory is not good on the, on the case numbers and the numbers in our intensive care units. So we're all making pretty tough plan Bs, I mm-hmm. think, for our mm-hmm. Christmas Day. Um, I wonder, as we head into Christmas through this Advent season, how's your family marking the season this year? Well, we got our tree up this past weekend. We usually have a pretty hard like December 1st or like the first weekend of December to like get all the Christmas boxes down from the attic and set up. And, and our boys were really into it this year. I was mm-hmm. kind of taken aback how much they've latched onto our tradition already. You know, they're only seven and five, our two oldest. And, uh, but we broke our, our like December 1st rule by like one day. So it's like the last day of November. So yeah, just getting the tree set up and all the decorations out and starting uh, the advent countdown calendars. We got a, a Lego advent calendar for our boys. So they were oh, very excited very about fun. that. I found it on a buy and sell for like half price. I was very proud of myself. I hope it has all the pieces or that's going to be a disappointing it, it was It was sealed, so it was good. It's, oh, not, okay. it's not like a reuse, but uh, they, just, they must have bought it for, for their kids and never used it or something. But anyhow, so that's what I've been uh, been enjoying these first couple of days of getting ready for Christmas. Yeah. Some of those things, I think, look really similar because our kids are still in school. And so before they go yeah. to school, they're opening their little advent calendar and then heading off. So mm-hmm. it hasn't hit yet in some ways, I think, that how, how different things are going to be haven't missed enough things yet for it to you know feel Uh, real yet those things that we're gonna have to miss are coming still we'll talk about that in a second gosh (laughs) i don't want to but we need to yes steph uh, what do you what stories do you have for us about what your family's doing to mark the season well we're um like we've invited lots of the families in church to join the rest of the the mjack families in creating a jesse tree and so um in my really early childhood 
our family attended a church that was part of a mainline denomination. And I have all these really rich and beautiful memories of the way that stories in scripture and the rhythm of the church calendar were told visually. And, you know, I can think back to the seasons changing and how as the seasons changed, so would the color of the minister's stole and the images on the banners that hung between the windows. And all these little pieces were filled with symbolism and they set the scene and helped bring the people into the story. When Elliot was just a couple months old, Mark and I went on this month-long adventure to Italy. Uh, we spent Easter at the Vatican and hours just soaking in the beauty of cathedrals and their stained glass windows and painted ceilings and statues and we got swept up in kind of the wonder and awe of that art and I kind of started to realize that I'd been missing some of these visual reminders and rituals and liturgies that were a part of my really early faith experiences Mm -hmm. And I could sort of start to see the way that they had anchored me to God's story. And I wanted to pull some of that into our family's spiritual practice now that we had a baby of our own. So I went digging for some resources that I could pull from other traditions and I came across the Jesse tree. And so for five or six years now, we've been participating in this like hundreds of year old tradition of tracing back through the genealogy of Jesus and telling the stories of our faith family tree. And so it's a daily thing. And every day, um, starting the first Sunday of Advent, we read a little story of a member of God's family and we hang an ornament on a little clothesline or on our tree. And it's been just a beautiful time to spend together as a family. And I think it's really helped Mm -hmm. keep the focus in our home on the themes of Advent and on Jesus and and what this Christmas season is about. So much of our Christmas experience here in North America is centered around Santa, obviously. Mm. And as with the family of young kids, like it just dominates, you know, the countdown to Christmas and the gifts and, and that whole beautiful celebration that we do as a culture. But I've noticed with our family the last couple of years, we kind of have two celebrations at the same time Mm. we don't like lean super heavy into santa and like gifts and all that but it's definitely a part of our uh december and our anticipation but we also have this other um Mm -hmm. this other uh celebration with uh the the advent story and and uh like like uh, uh stephanie had said so it's it's neat to have those two uh, stories and countdowns happening at the same time and our boys understand that Christmas is two things it's Santa and it's family and it's presence but it's also a celebration of a story that's much larger than that so yes it's been neat to kind of at a fairly young age like at seven and five that they can already grasp that that yeah. it's two things you know well it's just sort of bringing it into balance hmm. yeah um, yes in a way that. It's not, you don't have to reject the Santa story. No. no. You just want to tell a, a, a beautiful and vivid story that's there in the Bible to be told. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The story that we're a part of uh, yeah. when we celebrate Christmas. Well, um, it's time. What's what's different this year? Christmas 2020, Advent 2020. What are you guys missing or anticipating that you're going to miss? 
we've decided at the farm to not do a Christmas party. We usually either rent out a restaurant or the last couple of years we've done the meal ourselves at a hall. And it's just this beautiful, you know, our farm is a family business, but it's an extended family business and people that are not in our biological family who are family, you know, and it's just a beautiful uh, celebration of that. So I've been grieving that loss and also just other larger extended get togethers. They're just not going to happen. And it's becoming real now as December marches on that they're, they're definitely not going to happen. They're not going to be here this year. And that, that reconnection over food that is yeah. such a part of this season for me is just gone and so mm-hmm. it's gonna be hard yeah i feel like i haven't quite grasped how different that's gonna be and how sad that's gonna be like i think january 2 is gonna hit and i'm gonna look back and i'm gonna be like what happened mm-hmm. we had christmas day but we didn't have a gathering beyond the four of us around a meal uh, December 31 and the first rolled around and I didn't have a big voltage party at Hillcrest to dress up for and like be involved with and it's just going to feel it just seems like a little dull like some of the things that set the Christmas and New Year season apart and I'm hopeful that there will be things that God will bring up and polish up for us to notice that maybe we miss mm. in the busyness and the fullness but it's hard to imagine right now just looking ahead mm. at it i trust that he will and i'm going to be looking for that but i don't have as good imagination as he does oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you steph i think i've been feeling a little weary lately yeah there's stuff that i miss but i miss the ease of life <laughs> in mm. some ways mm. I miss gathering around food. I miss being able to make spur-of-the-moment decisions. And mm. I miss not having to think so hard about the risks and impact of every interaction and outing mm-hmm. that we make. That's just like been weighing on me mentally. Um, I know we're nine months into having to just really think about every every move that we make. Um and it's not just, I think the reality is hit that it's not just about whether you're going to catch COVID or whether you're going to pass mm-hmm. COVID on to someone else. If you are COVID positive, everyone around you, everyone you're in contact with, then they lose work. So it's mm-hmm. also the loss of work or the loss of routine that you mm-hmm. might trigger a need for someone to quarantine for 14 days right. because they were exposed to you. Um, and I think uh, earlier in the pandemic, I hadn't really processed that, that, um, that was going to be one of the losses, even if you were asymptomatic, even if it right. didn't really make you sick, um, mm-hmm. you still just might have very sad days feeling very isolated from everyone and mm-hmm. unable to work and, uh, and um, mm-hmm. grappling with that. Mm-hmm. And I think in March, like we had the anticipation of summer, you know, to, su- sure. to sustain us. Yeah, so like we're all going to get outside. And at least we'll be able to see each other outside. So let's hunker down for a month, two months, whatever it was, was, and then, you know, yeah. summer is coming. Things will get warm. Mm-hmm. We can sit out on our decks. And it was. It was an amazing summer. Like, talk yeah. about that Saskatchewan summer. Yeah. And we had it. Like, and, but it's winter now. And it's going to be winter for a long time after this holiday season that is maybe going to feel really weird. And I've been reflecting on the seasonality of life and especially in the prairies, how heavy the 
actual seasons are a part of your life. Obviously, yes. I'm a, on a farm and I and I'm much more in tune with like the change in the seasons in regards to what it does in regards to my work life. Well, because you're literally up at dawn mm-hmm. or before dawn to milk the cows and you're literally uh, in the barn still and those big windows when the sun's going down, Absolutely. You're, you're noticing the, the, mm-hmm. the way that the sun is traveling over the sky. So the fall ends and you finish your work for the year in the fields and you have that sense of accomplishment and winter sets in, but then it's Christmas right away and there's this beautiful year end celebration mm. and the start of winter is so tolerable. You know, yes. I'm excited for winter because, because life slows yeah, down. Yeah. Christmas is coming. Yeah. And like the start of this winter has, there is not like, it's been hard to get excited for winter in that sense because yeah. we don't have that. It's not going to be the same. It's not going to be as true. And I'm afraid for how long winter might feel and what we can do to, to still embrace the start of winter and still embrace mm-hmm. this season. I think we've talked before, Rachel, how, it feels like maybe there's a season of mourning or lament that we can lean into mm. with this winter mm. because there is hope on the horizon. Like the vaccines yes. are coming and, and spring will come yes. eventually, but it's yes. a long season here. And so it's just longer than usual. Cause I mean, often you get Christmas and new year's done and there's a letdown and you, but then you think to yourself, okay, that was awesome. That was a season full of light. Now I just have to survive three months and then I can start planting my tomato seedlings. And it sustains you through the first part of that. It yes. dark, like that, that the, high the, of the Christmas. Christmas yeah. yeah. And so we, we, I'm wondering how we're going to do and what kind of almost trudging mm-hmm. kind of pace we're going to, and not trudging in like a bad and depressed sense, but just a sense of like, we just got to figure out how do you put one foot in front mm-hmm. of the other through the mm-hmm. weeks? Um, and what are the little small things that we can keep noticing and cultivating in our family life um, and in our distant, distanced mm-hmm. relationships with our friends in our church that sustain us? Um, this feels like a, this feels like a fast to me. Mm. Um, it feels like a time of fasting. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was, I'm supposed to preach on, um, uh, not this Sunday, but next Sunday on, you know, Jesus is the, our light in the darkness. And, um, and the metaphor that kept coming to my mind actually was the way that I usually anticipate Christmas as being a time of feasting. So I was thinking about both the light and darkness and the way that Jesus prepares a table for us. And usually when I enter into those high times with the church, the high holy times, either Easter or uh, or Christmas, it's like all this food and all, you know, you're gathering mm-hmm. people around a, 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 a feast. And this year there is no feast. We can make that food, but we're not going to get to share it with like a generous amount of people. Mm-hmm. And the imagery that came to my mind was the Israelites in the wilderness and manna snows mm. on the ground. Mm. And that's their daily bread that they pick up from God. And this year I feel like this is the Christmas of manna on the ground and that's Mm. we have whey bread but we don't have a feast yet but maybe in time for easter maybe we'll get an easter feast can you imagine how much more amazing easter feast will be if we didn't have christmas feast right Mm -hmm. well one can hope one can hope Mm. (laughs) (laughs) you know i think it's beneficial to just get our mental focus and our mental health wrapped around this COVID slowdown we're, we're in yeah. the middle of. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is winter. It's not going to be spring until probably April. Yeah. 
you know, whether or not we all get vaccinated January 1st or not. Like winter is going to be here. So let's just embrace this season and help do our part to slow down. And, and it, like we can't make it go faster. So shifting our mindset to slowing down and embracing it, I think is going to be helpful for us. Yeah. Well, and as a bit of a side note, when I think about vaccinating, um, I actually think I would like to put myself on the bottom of the list. Like, I, there isn't a, there isn't a reason for me to be a priority. Hmm. Um, the the people who experience disabilities who live in Logan's homes, yes. they're looking ahead to Christmas, uh, where their immediate family can't come into the home and visit them, and and they can't leave. Like mm-hmm. they're they've and they've been quarantined like that for for eight months. Mm-hmm. Um, and just really isolated. And so there was some openness that happened through summer months, but now we've locked down again and those homes are locked down again and they're looking ahead to Christmas and thinking, you know, I'm not going to see my mom and dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm just going to have these staff people with me for Christmas and they're all going to be masked and wearing um, visors um, as well. And so mm-hmm. that's those are the kind of vulnerable people that I really want to see them vaccinated so that they can even experience the amount of normalcy that I experience right now in COVID mm-hmm. isolation. They yeah. can't even experience the amount Not of interaction that. with yeah. people that I get to have. So for me, that's a priority that, that out, of, out of our sight, out of our line of normal vision, there are people who are suffering far more from this isolation than, than mm-hmm. we are. And so I, I just, I'm concerned for that. So much of the challenge of COVID that I've found as a society is, is to... Uh, to broaden your thinking like that, to yeah. be to be concerned about your, to be concerned about situations that aren't your reality. Yeah, you know, like everyone's experience in COVID is valid and real, but to think about other people that have a different reality than you and that you probably never will experience, and and realize that your actions will impact them, and just thinking broader is it's hard, and and it, it's really taught me the value of it, and to. And it's really reminded me to continually think about that, that my experience in life is not everybody's experience. And uh, to just be reminded of that. Yeah. um, It's important. Mm -hmm. I wonder if uh, it's like we're all suffering. Everybody's suffering with COVID. And this is going to be a little bit of a segue into our sermon top conversation as well. Um, We can we can in our suffering kind of get. Uh, just really self-focused mm-hmm. and st- focused on my own pain or and pivot inwards to ourselves or in suffering and in pain we, we pivot out and say who else is hurting mm-hmm. I'm hurting and wow this sucks who else is hurting mm-hmm. can we care for one another that I think is a move that the spirit would love to see us make as Christians um, mm-hmm. to turn mm-hmm. out to be noticing people who are who are marginalized and suffering and just have our hearts enlarged in love for others well, let's talk about, um, we need help here, clearly. What are some of the ways that uh, you guys have found to help you cope with darkness and isolation in the winter season? As you were saying, Mark, um, being very attuned to the darkness of winter has been a part of your rhythm. Um, and so in the past, what are some of the things that you've done to um, get through? I am always just so excited to start making stews and soups. And braises <laughs> and those winter 
meals yeah. that you don't make in July. You turn the oven on Gosh. for four hours. Baked bread, you know, like yeah. I, I got into much, I didn't get into like necessarily sourdough in March and April when we first yes, got locked you down. Did. But I it ate was, your bread. It was delicious. But it's not sourdough. Okay, Anyways, it's like really slow. <laughs> anyhow, it's got, I, I feel like I really, uh, broke through to another level on baking bread and like and it's and yeah like cooking seasonally has been such such a helpful thing for me and I just love like winter cooking it is so different than any other time of the year yeah the rest of our household also loves that Mark decides to go like full-on in the kitchen as fall begins (laughs) it's like you know creative and yeah amazing soups and stews and all of our garden produce like filling our bellies i mean there's a reason why we started meal-based ministry together we just enjoy <laughs> cooking and eating each other's food so it is much. true it it's is coming true. it's coming back guys yeah. i'm telling this to myself <laughs> um mark where did you uh where did you learn to cook where like where did this come from because how can we learn to cook like you? That's really what I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think like my mom cooked uh, all the time when I was a kid, and I cooked with her as I got older. Um, my mom definitely fed us, uh, you know, what kids would eat. And right. but I think there was things I can think back on that she was doing a little bit differently than a lot of other families would in regards to some of the, you know, recipes and flavors that she she'd use and you know cooking from a from a farm wife's freezer type thing you know yeah. access to it to a, to a lot of meat and those kind of things yeah. but then as i got older um i had i have a, f- a few vivid like street tacos in mexico city and mm. and these Who did you experience and that once i learned how to cook it was like i had cilantro for the first time in a recipe i was using it and it was just like snap back to grade nine on the street uh, of mexico uh. and this taco was, it was like oh that's what that is <laughs> And all these yeah. kind of like... How can I find out more to yeah, make this for myself? You just chase that high. And then yeah. as I... When I was in college and moving out of college, I was playing uh, in a few different bands. And uh, a couple of us uh, moved in together into this trailer. And we decided to um, cook our suppers together to kind of, you know, develop a house culture, you know, bond. There was a few new people who didn't necessarily know each other that well at that time. And just trying to... You know, bridge the gap and and eating together, and we thought it'd be a good uh, good way to to, uh, to start uh, getting to know each other a bit better. And mm-hmm. we would grocery shop together and cook these meals together. And all of a sudden, I realized that I uh, I knew what I was doing. And, you have a knack, and more so than the rest of them. Yeah. And all of us were, you know, 22, 23 year old guys. But yeah. quickly, I think looking back on it, I did more and more cooking by then because A, I wanted to, and B, the guys wanted me to kind of thing. Yes. So we all lived together in this uh, just Caronport trailer. If you're from Caronport, like the those ones that... I live in a Caronport trailer now, but not not the ones that you're describing. Mine no. is nice. So we used to, you know, there was like, there was one, there was one January where it was like minus 30 for three weeks and our natural gas bill was like $600. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like well, one of... you still feel a breeze going through the house. One of those trailers. And uh, we knew we were moving into it uh, and it was rough and we were on tour and we had stopped at this uh, summer camp to play a concert and they put us up in the male uh, staff dorms. Mm. And 
it was also a just terrible trailer. Uh, and we had this huge sign above the door called The Manhole. And we thought that is the perfect name for our new home. <laughs> so we called this place The Manhole. So I think The Manhole is definitely where I learned to cook or, or I realized that I could cook. And then as I, once we got married uh, and that trip that Stephanie talked about, we went uh, traveling with our with our just to be clear you got married to stephanie not any of the men in the manhole it's true thank you just yes. checking on your prepositions there carry on so yeah just travels uh <laughs> food experiences um you know and just pushing myself i think i think the creative side of it is a big thing for me too i used to play a lot of music and i don't much anymore oh. and, and i find the kitchen to be a, a good way to express that creativity a little bit I've yeah kind of, that's kind for of, sure that's dawned on me recently that that's what yeah. that is yeah your creative side well it's two things your creative side comes out in the kitchen and it comes out in your playlist like in the music that mm. you curate yeah. you're not making it yourself anymore but you're still curating mm-hmm. in your house and in your life yeah it feels like both food and music you know they're they're a part of our everyday life and they're you know music maybe isn't as essential at a at a, at a biological level as food you know we need to eat three times a day but it's an important i think i think yeah. a music conversation consuming art is important mm-hmm. and why not make it great why not you know like why not push yourself so whether it's music or whether I, I it's food enough, at your table enough times to be like amen <laughs> why not make it great uh, listen, do you have any, do you have about one like really favorite recipe that you might want to, we might want to put a YouTube link up on to the, or uh, mm. a recipe mm. link? So I'll give away, hopefully not too much of the secret or I'll pull the curtain back too far, but generally, <laughs> oh, uh, seriouseats.com okay. or Kenji Lopez is the, is the chef. That is my it's a new recipe or I want to just, you know, retweak it or rethink about it. That's the first stop. It's uh, serious eats. Serious eats. It's a, uh, it's a food blog website um, that just takes, uh, it applies science to a lot of cooking actually, and kind of gets into like the, the food lab style. Let's break this down. Let's think about how we make it. And, and yeah, those are, oh my they gosh. are foolproof. <laughs> so the breaking news on our podcast we I just know. cracked the code of why marks where mark goes for this cooking okay oh i loved that i just want to go home and pin some recipes right now so let's talk about something uh pastor kirk just wrapped up our under the surface series um and today we're talking about his message on grief and disappointment this was from sunday november 29th and if you missed it you can find the service on mjack.org under the live stream tab. Um, and in his message, Pastor Kirk talked about when we are experiencing grief and disappointment, that it's, a, it's an opportunity to pivot, um, either to pivot towards Jesus and to bring to Jesus the fullness of our grief and our anger and our disappointed expectations and to see what he does or to pivot away from Jesus and withdraw and, you know, as I said, just become very self-focused on, on what's happening to mm-hmm. us and us alone. Um, did you guys have, uh, as you listened, any, any high points on that sermon or as you chatted with your small group about it? Yeah, I think to think about the idea of grief as forward thinking or, or looking to the future, that grief is a state of what we are not going to have in the future and unfulfilled longings in the future. Um, I think looking 
back now on the sermon, like obviously I understood that, but it wasn't really present in my mind that I oftentimes think of grief as that thing that we had that is no longer. Yeah, so you're looking back and you're sad about the past. And that those memories are, you know, tainted. I don't know if that's the right word. Yeah, well, but they're, they're sad now because yeah, that person is gone. Exactly. But to think about grief now as, okay, it's things that I'm missing out on. I thought that was really, yes. that really is just stuck with me. And then uh, the story of Mary, of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Yeah. I'd always just kind of thought about it as faith, you know. And so much of Jesus's miracles are, did you have faith in me or not? You know, yeah. like it, it doesn't matter that he died. I'm still going to bring him back to life. I could have come and healed him. Yes, but I didn't come then. But to think about it as, as grief, that one turned in and one turned away. Yeah. I thought that was really. Yes, that, that Martha went out to Jesus when she was grieving and she was mad. She was like, mm -hmm. if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She pivoted towards him and she brought all her anger and her mm -hmm. big feelings right to Jesus' feet, mm -hmm. literally. And he makes some amazing statements to her that he doesn't say to anybody else in the Gospels. And he's, he says to her, I, like, do you believe I'm the resurrection and the life? He doesn't say that anywhere else to anyone else. And, and to this angry, weeping woman. And he doesn't reprimand her or, like, minimize her feelings. Or, like, there's so yeah. many things that, yeah. you know, it's just like that he doesn't her, do. He doesn't say to her, you know, why don't you have more faith? Mm -hmm. Right. That's not yeah. part of their dialogue. I know. Yeah. Huh. And Mary stays home, and we've we've seen Mary be such a beautiful lover of Jesus in in past mm -hmm. stories, but in this moment, she's just a very human person who's who's just crying in her bed and doesn't want to leave mm -hmm. and doesn't bring her grief to Jesus. Um, and you know what's lovely is he doesn't reprimand her for that either. Mm -hmm. um, and and he raises Lazarus, Lazarus, her brother, uh, as much for her as he does for Martha. And she receives right. him back, right? I, I, mm -hmm. I love to imagine that reunion when, when Lazarus comes comes home trailing mm -hmm. the grave cloths. I mean, yeah. that's just a wild thought. Mm. I thought that this message on grief and disappointment uh, coming right at the start of this COVID Advent season uh, was just so timely and, uh, and also just timely to have a conversation with you guys because you have had quite a profound journey with grief and disappointment as a, as a family. And um, as your friend, I, you're the people that I sort of turn to and, and just watch the path that you walk to, to think to myself, like, how am I going to manage um, grief and death in my own uh, spiritual journey? And I wonder if you guys could share with us a bit what you've learned about uh, how to respond to loss and disappointment. Yeah, I thought what Kirk had to say about leaning into our grief and leaning into Jesus um, was pretty spot on. Um, so in the last five years, I've lost my mom to cancer and then um, my brother Lloyd. Um, and one of the things that I've been learning as I grieve both of those losses is that um, that grief is just a really sacred space mm. to be in. Um, I remember reading in a note that somebody scrawled in a sympathy card, uh, and it said, "We grieve deeply what we have loved deeply," mm. and it was so simple, but it was so profound. This idea that our grief exists in like direct proportion to our love. Wow. 
Wow. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's true when it comes to the loss of a loved one. But I think it's also true when it comes to all those unfulfilled expectations or those longings, those things that Kurt kind of talked about, that our grief exists in proportion to our hopes and in proportion to our dreams too, or in proportion to that investment that we've made in whatever it is that's now not going to happen or that's now lost. Hmm. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, do you want to say a little more about that, Steph? Um, How your grief journey connects to your day-to-day relationship with Jesus, the way that grief has shaped your relationship with him? So, like I mentioned before, there's almost this like paradoxical relationship between grief and love or grief and joy or grief and peace. Mm. Um, and the source of all of that goodness um, is Christ. So it's it was actually two years last week since my youngest brother Lloyd died. And like, it was totally unexpected. Um, he fell asleep and didn't wake up. Um, we found out later he had like a pre-existing heart condition that we didn't know about. Um, and I came back from my dad's after um, just spending some time with him and having preparing and having the funeral. And our first Sunday back here at MJAC was the first Sunday of Advent. Oh, wow. And this is two years ago? This is two years ago, yeah. And I... I just never really felt such an absence of peace in my life. And I'd never felt so completely hopeless and helpless. And I'd never needed Jesus' comfort and loving embrace. I never felt so like emptied of joy. And I didn't, I'd never needed to hear the truth that like God incarnate had come to set all things right. I didn't, I didn't need to hear it ever before in my life. Like I needed to hear that truth, that Advent season that year. Yeah. And Jesus met me in all those spaces. And when I, you know, could just be there <laughs> and acknowledge the depth of all of the feelings I had. And when I, you know, could, bring those to Jesus and make space for him to show up. I saw I experienced him and found him in ways and places that I couldn't have known before. And now there's like this part of me that like, I can't wish away that grief because it's resulted in such a rich, experience of God and of and of and of relationships with other people too the way that Jesus you know wrapped his arms around me through the people that were in our community like I I wouldn't have the depth of relationship that I have with the people in my life without these experiences of deep sorrow and deep grief either let's go back to that picture that we were talking about of martha bringing her grief and anger to jesus feet Mm -hmm. and the part of the story that we didn't tell is that jesus weeps Mm -hmm. 
Um, so when you said, you know, that it's all paradoxically wrapped up with Jesus, it isn't as if he's objectively standing there like, there, there, I know it's mm-hmm. all going to be fine. You know, he is, I can't imagine that he wasn't also crying when Martha came to him crying. Um, and we meet uh, a God who is deeply moved with us. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where this profound intimacy comes. We don't meet somebody who's like yeah. just emotionally um, all put together and distant and, and like, there, there, child, it's going to be fine. We, we meet mm-hmm. someone who's moved as we are moved. Mm-hmm. And it's in those spaces where you bring your most intimate, your most raw disappointments and negative feelings and anger to mm-hmm. Jesus that you, that you find that he's, he's uh, entirely in full of that mm-hmm. and has tears on his face too. Um, and that's been a, pro- a profound part of my journey with Jesus as well in, our, in my own seasons of darkness. I wonder if that's something that, you know, we really, it's probably part of why we're, why we're deep friends because that <laughs> really, really resonate with that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, and just the being with Jesus in the midst of that. Like, Jesus didn't make that pain go away. Yeah. You know, and the circumstances. And Lloyd didn't come out. Right. Like, Lloyd didn't rise. And there's so many, like, questions that won't ever be answered. Yeah. And so many pieces to the bigger story that I, on this side of eternity, am not gonna, I'm not gonna know, necessarily. And so it, it's not so much about Jesus, you know, taking that away or eliminating yeah. it. It's like this meeting with me in those spaces yeah. and, and bringing the fullness of all that he is into that space yeah. too. Yeah, sometimes we want the rescue. We want him to mm-hmm. lift us up out of the pit, and we find instead that he's come down into the pit right. with us and is yeah. sitting there with us. Mm-hmm. Like life is so much fuller and deeper when you experience the highs and the lows, and the lowers. The lows are lower because the highs are so high, and vice yeah. versa. You know, like that's yeah. that's just life in general. And I yeah. think our relationship with Jesus, if we if we allow ourselves to pivot into him in our grief, if we invite him into our lowest of lows, yeah, um, I think there's a there's a depth and a richness that that wasn't available to us before this season. You know, I think yeah, our faith journey as a family and individually, I think our faith is uh, so much more deeper and vibrant because we allowed ourselves to lean into those deep dark spaces with Jesus and go to him in those deep dark spaces not just in the highs it's really easy to um, allow Jesus to be a part of your life in those high moments and to thank him and to rejoice and and, you know and even just church church is celebratory church is you know worship worship service yeah yeah there's an aspect of your relationship with Jesus that's just sitting there in the darkness sometimes you know like like life is not easy life is very hard yeah and everyone that you know 
is going to die at some point and then you will too and loss and like life will break apart yeah um and to exclude your faith from that i think isn't is you just it's it's missing something there's yes if jesus is only in the clean and tidy yes. spaces that are full of light then you're lonely a lot because <laughs> that's not the only spaces i live in yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I think you guys have have uh, learned and, and practiced so profoundly is is you've been able to open your grief to your friends and family and your church community and and invite us in to walk with you. And I wonder mm -hmm. if you could uh, tell us a little bit. I know some of that was intentional. Tell us a little bit about that. How how can we enter into grief with other people, or how can we allow other people into our own moments of grief as we as we allow Jesus in. It was really apparent to me after my mom died, the people that were around me that had experienced grief. I just, oh, it was almost like I could just tell by the way that they responded that they had also walked at, through a difficult space. And it didn't necessarily mean that they had had a similar experience or had, you know, had lost a family member even necessarily but that they had um they had walked a grief journey before and i could tell by the way that they responded to me and my grief and there was a bit of a a bit of a realization that like oh that that means that this is a gift that i'm going to carry to people as well mm -hmm. and so i'm going to forever respond to people differently who are grieving because now I just know at a whole different level um, what grief is like in a way that I didn't know before and that nobody could have told me about. And I think, you know, sometimes we sort of think that, you know, not, no tragedy has befallen me and so I can't possibly maybe come alongside someone you know, or we don't know or have the skills or, you know, it's a little frightening. We don't know what to expect from other people in their grief. Um, and I actually think that this practice of recognizing our losses and allowing ourselves to grieve even the little things in our life, that all of that it's the same emotions, mm. maybe at a, you know, different levels of depth. Scaled up. Right? But I, you know, I know loss. And I don't know the loss of, you know, there's so many losses. I don't know all of those losses, but I know a loss. Yes. And my loss can help me empathize with another person's loss. Do you have something you were going to chip? You want like to... the idea of um, not just dismissing things as disappointment, you know, um, and, and teaching ourselves to grieve the small things so that the bigger things are easier. That in this COVID season, the, the loss of that family trip or the, the hockey practice schedule or the whatever it is we're missing out on, um, it's not just disappointment and don't just set your eyes to the next goal right away. Don't oh. just, 
I missed out on that. What's the next thing I look forward to and just press on? Yeah. And then when grief is so immediate and heavy that you cannot avoid it, you have no idea what to do. Mm. Like take, take the small things and grieve them. Mm. Grieve the fact you didn't get to go on that trip. Grieve the fact you're not going to be able to have mm. Christmas and, oh, but we'll have next Christmas. It'll be fine. Like, no, it sucks. We don't have Christmas this year and feel that and understand mm-hmm. what that makes you feel and how you can move through it so that when the larger thing that, okay, now my parents are gone yes, forever. There isn't a thing to look ahead to, to say. Then how do you, ha- if you've never handled the small thing, how do you, ha- I think there's something there about treating disappointment with the, and grief with the level of respect that it, that it deserves and training yourself to, to work up. Mm so that you have the capacity in those larger moments to... It's practice. Mm-hmm. You're practicing to be human. Because mm-hmm. a loss is a part of... At some point, you hit a loss that you can't avoid, and you can't look ahead and say, I'll just shake it off. Um, and that there isn't something wrong with you that that, that mm-hmm. happened. Um, and you can practice to meet that moment with a certain amount of grace um, and humility, as opposed to just being wrecked and taking it out on everyone around you. <laughs> so so I think if you if you uh, if you feel grief and you feel loss in the smaller things and it's a it's a natural reaction to you and you understand you have to do that then in those moments of you know those those generational moments those those moments that can only come along a couple times in your life mm-hmm. when when grief is just, is just so overwhelming and, and unavoidable at least you have a framework. At least you kind of know the process. At least you kind of know how to feel. Or if it happens to somebody in your circle that you're not completely afraid of it. Mm-hmm. So many times Because you've been avoiding it. for, And that's the thing. If you've been avoiding your own grief your whole life, then when your friend is grieving, you're going to avoid them. Mm-hmm. Because you don't know how to go to that place with them and you don't want mm-hmm. to. And now you've broken a relationship. You haven't just like sort of lied to yourself a little bit and, and made some deals with your uh, feelings you now you are risking something that might be really good for you to have because mm-hmm. i think we've skipped grief in our in our extended social circle at times in the past mm-hmm. and i don't think we intentionally were doing it but reflecting back on it i can think of a few examples in my life where i skipped grief because mm-hmm. i didn't know i didn't you know and we're we're kind of good at ignoring and we're good at sort of numbing things mm-hmm. and so it kind of goes back to you know what we were talking about before you know to avoid dis- avoid getting your dreams slashed you just set the bar low and you mm-hmm. don't don't hope so you don't get disappointed and I think sometimes you know we don't engage in in that depth of experience because it's just easier to kind of live on the surface yes for a time yeah another thing that I know Mark and I have kind of been learning is that um, being open about our grief and being vulnerable in those spaces you know I think I've recognized how that's been a gift to me spiritually Mm. that that's made space for Jesus to come in and meet me um, in a deep and profound way. I think it's also true that that's a way that we can and need to be with each other too. And that when we 
let ourselves grieve with others, it gives them an opportunity to meet us in our grief. And if we never hold that space open, not only do we not get to receive the gift of their presence presence and love and support, but they, you know, kind of miss out on this experience of coming alongside and of being the hands and feet of Jesus and of of journeying through that with somebody and learning all the things that you learn and discover along the way. And I remember when Lloyd passed away, um, the week leading up to the funeral and preparing for it. And it was such a sudden loss that um, we knew there was going to be a lot of people who needed to grieve with us. And in the days leading up to it, we could tell there was going to be a lot of people coming and we were trying to figure out the just logistics of you know, mm-hmm. where is everyone going to be? How is this going to work? Um, can we have a reception? We ended up deciding to fit every possible chair we could into the church and have mm-hmm. satellite feeds and standing room. And then Pre-COVID. we had exactly, <laughs> it's crazy to think back on. Yeah, I was at that funeral. It was elbow to elbow. We, we had almost packed. 800 people come. And then we had the reception at the rink because there was no space in the church. Wow. Like, And there's a beauty in that, obviously, with his life and, and having it in those two spaces. But mm-hmm. I remember like feeling that this weight and this pressure um, of we need to make this something that people can engage with and lean into and mm-hmm. almost like, and I knew a lot of people who were coming um, were just from the hockey community or the broader community. It's yeah. not part of the church community. I almost remember feeling this weight of like, I feel like I need to preach the gospel in some sense here. You that, did preach the gospel. Well, we did. <laughs> it, was, it was, you know, like this is Lloyd's whole life was, was allowing people to come into him. And yeah. he was an open person that way. And I thought, yeah. why is his, why is his grief? gonna be any different yeah you know mm-hmm. and uh you guys midwifed that in your <laughs> eulogy you yeah. really did well this conversation you know it's made me feel oddly hopeful <laughs> we went to we went to some dark places there uh, but i i feel like one of my takeaways is that this covid christmas is genuinely sad mm-hmm. and genuinely dark mm-hmm. and it is practice for us for becoming better humans practice for us to love and be loved and this this spring will come just like the spring this year came it's just going to be a lot longer you know not only from a calendar sense like we have four months instead of just two months this time around in this if you want to call this a lockdown season but Mm. you know we've done this once before and we we learned a little bit we let ourselves grieve the first lockdown, like we were talking. We, yeah. we, it wasn't just a disappointment. It was, you know, I think if you leaned into the the first lockdown and, and the loss of it, you know, hopefully you've got some muscle memory. Oh yeah. So I think there's yeah. Reach back to what you learned last time. Yeah. For this time. We can do it again. Yeah. But it, but it is going to be harder, for sure. And yeah. I think to treat it with that respect that Chris Christmas is different and. And this winter is different and this, you know, if you want to call it a lockdown, this slowdown, this this next season in front of us is going to be different. But I yes. think we have the capacity in ourselves and the, and the muscle memory from last time to hopefully get through it together, you know. 
And I feel like part of what we're saying is here is to not rush past. Mm-hmm. It's, un- it's so unpleasant, but to not rush past. That there is a gift here somehow in the dark. Well, in a moment we're going to pray our blessing, but first let's just look ahead as we do. Uh, this Sunday we are starting our Advent series called Seeds of Hope. We've paired Old Testament messianic prophecies with gospel stories from Jesus' birth. And we're going to see the way that Jesus fulfills our longings and is our hope. Jeremy Zacharias is going to be on the mound, opening our series with his message on Jeremiah 42 to 43 and the classic story of Jesus' birth in the stable in Bethlehem. Listeners, we're going to pray the blessing now. If you've been uh, busy doing work or... um, Just listening to us in the background, I wonder if you might want to open your hands, uh, put down the things that you've been doing, just take a moment to take a good breath, and recall to yourself that Jesus is with you in this ordinary moment. Lord Jesus, we're feeling in the dark, and we're trying to keep busy and trying to keep lights lit and trying to keep hopeful. Um, but yeah, around the edges and underneath, it does feel so sad. Um, as we anticipate the losses, the things that we're not going to get to experience this Christmas and the losses that we've already sustained in this past season of COVID. So like Martha, we just want to gather all that upset up, all the grief and the anger and the disappointment, and we just bring it to your feet. We don't want to be alone in our grief. We want to be with you, even though we kind of blame you for some of these things and think that you could have made some changes. Thank you that you're willing to listen to us. And thank you that as you listen, you hear our grief and you cry with us. And that you're not afraid to cry. And you don't withhold yourself from suffering. And you're not afraid of it. And you walk in. You press in to grief and pain to be with us, and we want to be like you. Mm -hmm. I ask that you'd help each one of us in this COVID Christmas to pattern ourselves after you, press into the difficulty of this, and look also for your dawning hope, for the seed of your promises that are scattered around even now. Light some candles for us, Jesus. We don't have a lot of light on our own. We need you to point out where you are already lighting little fires around us. Thank you for our extended church family, for the good relationships we have uh, in, in our church and in our families, in our lives. Thank you for the good gifts of a warm home and safety that you've given us. Help us in each day, Lord, to just recognize again and bring to you the ordinary good things that we're grateful for, even as we grieve and recognize the losses, the things that we hoped for this season that we're not getting to experience. We bless you, Jesus. And we say again, you are the resurrection and the life. Our hope is in you.
Thanks, listeners, for lending us your ears. And thanks uh, to everyone who's been a guest on the show. I wanted to say a special thank you this evening. I've been so touched by your courage and your vulnerability as you shared your stories on the pod every week. Every one of you made our days better in a difficult time by being vulnerable with us. Um, so I just really wanted to thank you for that. MJAC Conversations is written, recorded, and produced by me, folks. Until next time, be well and be good to one another.